I believe that in trauma, whether it's a little trauma or a big one, there's some version of separation, some form of some degree of break mm -hmm. and healing or, or rejuvenating um, trauma, tending to it is to bring it back together, you know, to reconnect. To me, having grown up in Montana and it's such a beautiful and wild landscape, I feel incredibly fortunate for that realization that connecting with each other socially is very important and yet connecting with the land is equally if not more important um, and so let's find spaces create spaces build spaces where people can come together and reconnect welcome to the not just a pony ride podcast presented to you by hetra university if you've landed here you're probably passionate about how horses help people this podcast is for anyone who helps others experience the benefits of horses or those who have experienced it themselves. If you're in the equine assisted services industry, we're here to help you. If you're here just to learn more, you're in the right place. Welcome to your community of like-minded people where you will hear stories, education, science, and explanations about how what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist and CTRI, Katie Ott. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am looking forward to get to know you a little bit better and talk to you about your amazing organization, The Common Ground Project. So um, tell me a little about you. Um, give us a brief kind of history and then tell us about Common Ground. Sure. Uh, thank you. Well, my name is Daniel Anderson, and I am talking to you from Southwest Montana. I grew up in Montana uh, in a small ranching community right on the edge of Yellowstone Park, a place called Tom Minor Basin. And um, let's see here, our family came into Montana in the mid-1950s, so I'd be third generation uh, in, our, in our family at least. And since we established roots in Montana. We've uh, slowly built a, a really strong connection to the land, to ecology, to the landscape's history, the, the community of people. So um, that community also extends to the wildlife that we live with. Um, naturally, by living next to Yellowstone Park, we, we're in a land that is incredibly diverse. You know, grizzly bears, wolves, elk, deer, um, we even have wolverines up high in the in the Gallatin Range still, I believe. And so that's really lent my own personal life experience really uh, has been an incredible journey and an opportunity to explore relationships, right? Uh, the, the kind of relationships that we have with each other in the ranching community, the kind of relationships that we have with the land, the ecology, uh, of course, the relationship we have, the history of this land. And and Common Ground Project has emerged as a sort of creative endeavor, um, all about exploring those relationships. So yeah, Common Ground is really all about creating space for people to come together, gather in person, gather on the land, gather around campfires, quite literally, <laughs> good food, um, gather around stories, and um, and good intentions. So I can go into more detail, but I can, I guess I'll stop there for now. Yeah. Thanks for giving us kind of a brief snapshot. I know you guys 
um, your, the, the services and programs and all the things that you guys offer is vast. Um, your website is beautiful, by the way. Um, I will, I'll link everybody to that kind of at the end and in the show notes and things, but, um, so you guys provide not only, um, a space, right. For people to come and experience you, but you also provide programming, right? So can you provide, or give me a little bit of a synopsis on the types of services that you guys offer? Yeah, indeed. Um, so programming is kind of, it's interesting. We design our own programs. Um, I call them workshops, retreats, uh, unique gatherings, and some of those are our own, like within our own specific community, our team uh, and our board, we design our own programs, like a storytelling retreat, which is intentionally cross-cultural. Uh, and it's all about exploring stories and building community through storytelling. We design a retreat called Collaborative Approaches, which is really looking at collaborative partnerships in the region and how they're working where they're thriving and where they're not thriving, um, you know, what supports collaboration and what gets in the way of it, what prevents it from happening. And we also have people come to us with programming. So we've done staff retreats, say, for organizations. We've um, we've hosted smaller private gatherings for people that we don't typically display on our website. Um, and we've, de we've designed programs in the past that are leaning more heavily toward agriculture and holistic land management, regenerative agriculture. And within those programs, we we do provide some very specific services. Uh, some of it is, depending on the needs of the group, some of it's facilitation. Sometimes the conversations are challenging that we're having, um, particularly when we think about cross-cultural community building and um, the word healing comes to mind or nourishment. It's, it's often not easy for people to show up and be entirely present in those types of gatherings mm -hmm. without being vulnerable. Right. So the role of facilitation as a service has actually been really important uh, in those kinds of gatherings. Um, we provide intimate connection with the land, you know, like um, whether it's guided hikes or walk walkabouts on the ranch that we have. We also provide, which I think is going to be very closely connected to you and what you guys offer um, is equine assisted learning or, you know, equine connections. Um, a lot of our groups that come, whether they're our own programs that we're designing or other people come to us with an idea, hey, can we bring our people out there and do this thing in y'all's ranch? Um, almost every time that group of people will go out to the corrals and work uh, specifically with my sister, who's been trained now in a couple of different modalities, but uh, doing equine assisted learning or equine, I don't necessarily call it therapy, but mm -hmm. but that whole world with horses yeah. is fascinating. And we, we do provide that. And it's almost every group that, even if they don't know that that's an option, once we talk about it with them before they come, they're like, I, I think we should do that. <laughs> so right. it ends up being a, a real key part of it uh, in terms of the services that we provide. Um, and then beyond the campfire and beyond these programs, we do, um, we do, I don't want to call it consulting, but we do support different partnerships in the region with facilitation services and coordination services. Most of those partnerships are focusing on building and or supporting collaboration in some way. So we're there as a support role to say, okay, how, how are you all going to work 
well together in this particular circumstance. Um, some of my colleagues would call it conflict resolution. It's not really involving resolution so much as more about navigating conflicts with a bit more grace. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What a great resource you guys are to your region. You offer a ton of services that I think people of today specifically, I mean, really, really need, you know, when you think about connectedness, you think about um, just collaboration and all of that. So tell me a little bit about um, who you guys have on staff or, you know, or if they're volunteers or kind of who is helping you, you know, facilitate all of that. Sure. The the inner circle really is a very small team. Uh, we have a board at moment of three people and I'm actually uh, endeavoring to expand our board in the next couple of years to get it a little bit bigger, but a board of three and a staff of two. And I'm one of those staff people um, mm-hmm. and I'm trained facilitator and I do a lot of the facilitation services uh, beyond the campfire and, and also around that campfire on the ranch. Um, so that's the core, but we also have just beyond that are whom I consider advisors and partners Mm -hmm. and those people spread across the region mostly across the state of Montana they are seasoned professionals I would say and I don't like to use the word expert because it's it's not quite like that these people carry a little bit more humility (laughs) But, (laughs) but folks who have who have managed and run and led uh, large nonprofits and working in conservation in this area, people who are professional facilitators who work across the world in, in that arena as a facilitator, people who are native indigenous to the land. So I have um, really good friends and colleagues now who are from regional tribes and helping to bring more community you know, right into this space and build connections between native and non-native people and, and, and build even connections between different tribes um mm-hmm. in in this region so people who are professional photographers and filmmakers you know and 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 good at talking about like how do you tell your story how do you, how do you reveal your story and why uh professional storytellers pe- people who have helped individuals uh craft a story um and all of that of course my sister malu too um being so focused on horses i mean that's key so she's she's our go-to when we when we gather people in the corrals with our horses so that's just a few of the folks that we work with there's there's also funding partners you know philanthropic interests like financial supporters who are either right up in front and out out in front and others who are anonymous like quietly fanning the fire behind the scenes so yeah a lot of different people in the network or the community Right. You have a very um, intricately woven web of folks (laughs) that are helping you um, out there in Montana. I love that. Mm -hmm. So in kind of looking on your website, you sort of have this whole theory of change and how, you know, that is helping you help people. Can you explain a little bit about why that's so important to you and the project as a whole, that kind of connectedness in theory? Yeah, I can I can try to. Um <laughs> it's a loaded question, I, probably. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good question. And it's a it's one that keeps coming up in different conversations. Um I mean, even some of the grants that I that I write for foundation partners, that question comes up. The theory of change really comes from an acknowledgement, perhaps, or observation 
people at large, I believe, feel there's there's a lot of division. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of fragmentation. There's a lot of othering. There's a lot of anger and there's hurt and um, accusation and assumptions and all these things that ultimately divide people and, you know, separate each other. And I believe that in trauma, whether it's a little trauma or a big one, there's some version of separation, some form of some degree of break mm-hmm. and healing or, or rejuvenating um, trauma, tending to it is to bring it back together, you know, to reconnect. Mm. And to me, having grown up in Montana and it's such a beautiful and wild landscape, I feel incredibly fortunate for that realization that connecting with each other socially is very important. And yet connecting with the land is equally, if not more important. Mm. Um, And so the theory of change is like, well, let's find spaces, create spaces, build spaces, both physically and theoretically, where people can come together and reconnect, mm. right? And then we don't have to do that at large. You know, we're not trying to churn out thousands of widgets in these types of programs, but more like small activated networks across the region, people who are very intimately connected to one another, empowered in that connection. They're expanded by having information that they didn't have before, perhaps, right? They can establish trust in in, um, both themselves and in other people in that network, right? Mm -hmm. And then if there's a degree of belonging within that network, within that community, that is more than it used to be, perhaps, then people might feel driven and or encouraged or empowered to engage in their communities in ways that go back to the original intent of reconnecting it's it's not a power dynamic play of like i can arm wrestle better than you can and you know establish what i have and protect that mm-hmm. um, and keep that in mind even a lot of the stuff i'm talking about might sound esoteric but like even just identity mm-hmm. and cultural stuff that we experience in our country so much of it's about protecting something right and um and if anything perhaps it's a it's time for us to let our guards down and just look at each other as human beings mm-hmm. and and try to see the whole package when we look at somebody um, and feel that we're a part of it so the theory is if we can do that well in one campfire then maybe we can get multiple campfires going across the region right Mm-hmm. And a really good friend of mine, as I was explaining this to him one time around our fire, I was like, oh, he reflected on it and saying, you know, as you talk about this, man, it almost sounds like acupuncture, like this, this little camp. And this is a, he's really comical guy, but he's like, this campfire is acting like a needle on the land. You know, you like bring people together around the campfire with a purpose and intention and support. You activate those people and it activates that needle, Mm -hmm. right? And that's felt, boom. There's like this reverberation that goes across the land through these people's felt experience. And he's like, man, that's that's really cool. Just imagine if you had like a whole bunch of needles. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, acupuncture is never just one needle. There's a bunch of them. That's what it's, as I'd said earlier in this conversation, it's really all about 
relationships and looking at relationships, just acknowledging that we have a relationship with each other, no matter what, it's just a matter of what does it look like? Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? And, And then what do we want to do about it? Right. This episode is sponsored by Freedom Writer. Freedom Writer's mission is to provide safe, top quality tack, supplies, and resources for riders, horses, instructors, and trainers. Starting in 1996 as a catalog of hard-to-find specialty items for therapeutic riding and driving, this company has grown to include more items for therapeutic riding, hippotherapy, and able-bodied riders of all disciplines. By working with select manufacturers, specialized craftsmen and women, and actually developing their own products based on customer needs. This store carries everything from hard-to-find adapted tack solutions, saddles, all different kinds of reins, educational books and curriculums, fun equipment like rings, beanbags, sensory items, and so, so much more. Check out Freedom Rider and all they have to offer at www.freedomrider.com. I think that when you talk about like that sense of belonging and really like letting our guard down to, to let people see all of who we are and all of our parts and pieces, I think that's huge. And a lot of people come to to our barn and experience that. And I think that the natural world, whether it be on a hike or, you know, in our barn with a horse or in your corral with a horse, right. It's, there's something that makes you feel like you belong there and it's not judging you. Like the horse isn't judging you, isn't mad at you, you know, and just like, if you go on a walk, you feel so refreshed because you just feel like you belong there. Right. And I think that that's something unique to our part of the world and what we do that that people really really connect to i can entirely understand that you know and resonate with it deeply and as i'm sure you could you've seen when we when we stand in the periphery of that experience where people are gathered together with horses right in a barn or corral and they're they're going through an experience individually or as a small group like you can watch that unfold and it's amazing how, uh, and everybody has not always the same experience, but fundamentally speaking, there's some version of like tapping into or accessing something deeper mm-hmm. ourselves, uh, something deeper within a web of relationships beyond ourselves. And of course the horse is like this key that opens the door, (laughs) right? Um, And within that there's awe, there's wonder, there's can be a a profound sense of belonging. There can be transformation even just within an hour, within a 60 minute time period. Right. Or at least the taste of it, right? Mm -hmm. That people get a taste of what transformation could be like within themselves having had this experience the the question is or the onus would be on us or individuals to say okay what are we going to do with that now Mm -hmm. what are we going to do with this experience now that we've had it exactly and I think that's why I'm sure I'm sure you've heard people say this too and they're not necessarily I don't want to say naysayers or you know something but kind of the the people that are going to question what we do where it's like okay, so I can come into the arena with your horse and experience this, but then, you know, I don't have horses at my job. I don't have horses, you know, when I go out and do other things, but I think it's that what you're talking about, how, um, the horse or the natural world or whatever it is kind of is a key that unlocks 
this, this change in us that we start to look at the world a little differently, or we start to wonder a little more, we're more curious or whatever it is. And then it's that feeling that translates into the rest of our life. Mm, Yeah. Well said, well said. And I, and I understand the resistance that some people have, you know, even if it's subtle, like the question or the skeptic might be like, well, what am I going to get out of this? Or be like, why would I do this? It sounds a little bit woo woo or yeah, there's (laughs) any number of any number of kind of entry points, perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just look at that as not a criticism on the individual, but it's sort of a symptom of a culture at large that's too you it's sort of linear in thinking and it's too used to a formulaic like do this plus that and get some result. Mm-hmm. And then the need to have that like framing right, of like what am I getting out of this so then I can walk away with X and okay. Y and Z. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's just a I don't know, maybe psychologically speaking, some sort of safety mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Knowing what to expect versus that of just kind of being open to the mystery. (laughs) Right. I think Um, that's part of our culture right now is that very like instant gratification sort of, you know, I, like you said, I do this and then I get this and that's how I know that I did it right. Or, you know, whatever it is. And, Mm -hmm. um, what we do is, is more, I don't know, not as black and white as that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like how you recruit, um, I don't know what you guys call them, but clients or participants or people that come and experience your services. How is that recruiting process? That's a good question too. We, we, um, well, as I said before, there's, we have our own programs, we design our own experiences and then other people come to us with their ideas and oftentimes the people who come to us with their ideas are are folks that are within the expanded network that we have across the region mm-hmm. now they found out about us somehow um they have an idea they make a phone call or send me an email and say hey what do you think about this so every once in a great while somebody will google something and then somehow common ground project website shows up and they they find us through our website just through the speaking of mystery, the World Wide Web, right? That (laughs) that happens on occasion, but it's actually very sort of far and few between. Mm -hmm. We don't spend money on marketing or advertising um, almost intentionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going back to theory of of activating a network. um, Mm -hmm. Sort of, we just tap into our own network that way. And the same goes with the programs that we do create, those experiences that are our own design, we as a team and as an advisory community kind of reflect on w- where our world is at the moment mm-hmm. and perhaps what might be relevant to talk about yeah. you know where might there be some needs socially speaking or environmentally or both mm-hmm. and then let's um perhaps let's build a experience where people can gather to, to connect around that singular topic or that sort of um, suite of topics that connect to one theme. Mm. And then from there, we say, okay, well, who who can help us build it? Like, who? what do we need to make an experience to curate that experience? And, and so we design it in that sense, and then reach out to that network. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, and that's, you know, through a newsletter, 
through our own emails. Like we just privately, quietly um, send out emails to people to say, hey, there's this idea we're thinking about doing. Would you be interested in, in participating in this kind of thing? Or would your organization be willing to help sponsor a student from a local yeah. university come and, and pay their way? Um, that's how we just, we do the outreach in that way. It's more, say, organic. Yeah, more word of mouth and kind of like people who believe in what you do, kind of referring people and connecting the dots. Correct. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So from a, I guess, more administratively thinking um, and speaking, when you, because you guys are a nonprofit, correct? Correct. We are. Yeah. So when you write grants and do those things, something that I think sometimes we as a nonprofit, when we talk about grant funding and things are, you know, grants want to know very specifically what program are you going to do? How are you going to do it? And how are you going to measure it? You know, whatever. So when you're sort of building these um, programs to meet the need of what our, our society is telling you, which I think is fantastic, by the way, um, how do you kind of work that into your grant funding or funders and, and to be able to stay more flexible within your plan? Yeah, that's a great question. It's so challenging. Uh, to be entirely candid with you, mm -hmm. the I run up against this on a regular basis with grants. Um, even some of our foundation partners that I have a really close relationship with, and I can be more transparent about, like, here's the deal. Co common ground is not a formula. And to to talk about our impact socially, we we can know some of that by providing some surveys. And getting feedback from participants. But in all actuality, we're really not going to know until we look back 10 years from now. Right. Like there's a time frame that we have to play with here that's more than a 12 month grant cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of foundations actually, and I, I work a lot in the conservation community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And <clears throat> those uh, partners and those projects that we're working on are often a little bit more tangible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of funders are interested in funding that kind of work. They're they're interested in funding even facilitation to build collaboration around a particular conservation issue. Uh, but they're not as interested in, in funding and gathering around a campfire. <laughs> you know, it's that's a hard sell for many of the foundations that I connect with because um, it's all about relationship building, right. community building, trust building, listening, learning qualitative things not quantitative things right <laughs> exactly it's hard to measure some of that stuff mm -hmm. um so what i try to do when i approach grants for one i have to be very selective with who i do reach out to in terms of writing a grant because i don't you know i try to find partners philanthropically speaking who really align from a value standpoint initially and then reach out and say hey this is what we're doing or perhaps somebody else has made an introduction is this something you'd like to discuss you know we get on the phone or a zoom call and chat about it and then if it feels like appropriate step to move into a grant then we'll go for it yeah and i just answer the questions as best as i can in that sense and some of the measurables or the outcomes or the impacts um you know i i just be basically as open and honest as I possibly can about all that. Some of it being, well, measurables have been actually in one way, just looking at the organization, having grown out of a crowdfunding campaign um, and having 
taken on these new services and helped support these partnerships over here and over there. And then saying, Hey, in five years time, here's change. So to me, that's, that's measurable and that's, that's showing progress, right? Um, there's testimonials and anecdotes galore mm-hmm. participants that we can help, you know, we can articulate back out to our foundation partners, but that only goes so far. That doesn't really check the box in terms of metrics, mm-hmm. uh, unless we started to count all those individuals. <laughs> Right. Say this many people participated and 80% of them had a new look at collaboration after they spent time with us. Like Mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff that some of our foundations are looking for. And it's, it's very hard to do. And actually for us, one of the reasons why it's hard to do is that we just don't have the capacity financially for our own staff to take on that workload. Right. It's a it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. You need <laughs> capacity uh, within a staff or a team to do that work, like social science work, basically mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. To then show, like, okay, this is what we have achieved, what we've accomplished. This is the we're trying to to like put the um, the round peg into a square hole, or vice mm-hmm. versa, in terms of being formulaic. But it takes resources to do that and to Mm -hmm. think really creatively and deliberately about um, how you quantify and qualify the social science part of it. And you are not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. I know a lot of um, a lot of people in our sector struggle with that. It's like we have these because most of us get into this type of work because we have this like huge heart to help people or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, we're really good at the programming piece, but then we have to start thinking about the analytics and kind of that other side of the brain of things. And um, it takes people that are good at that and resources to, to help put that, you know, puzzle piece together. So it's, yeah, yeah, you're not alone. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, it's a tough one. Mm -hmm. Kind of a quagmire because so many organizations face that right as you're saying and so and i kind of step back part of my stubborn pride a little bit is kind of like why is it that the case like what's what's going on in our society and our culture that this why this is thriving (laughs) this type of mindset or this paradigm is thriving i completely Um, agree (laughs) when people gather like even just this last weekend we had a gathering at the ranch and there are folks who were leaving and they were they were just like oh man this is the, some of the words they were sharing was were just beautiful. And that's the kind of thing that I could never, even if I tried to just record it mm-hmm. and put it into text and print mm-hmm. and put it in a grant, could never actually fully capture the person's essence, as they're saying. I know um, it. Or their you experience. Can never do that in a grant. We do the best we can with storytelling and, you know, a photo or whatever it is, but it's hard. But I think aligning ourselves with funders and and that type and grant, you know, opportunities that believe in that too, you know, that have that sort of mind frame too is what helps us. I often think about as a therapist, when I worked in the clinic, you know, I thought, why don't insurance companies accept videos (laughs) or, you know, like, let me show you the impact that this person had or whatever, but that's, they want numbers or, you know, whatever it is. So it's, it's a challenge. It is a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I have so enjoyed talking to you, Daniel. I really love um, the work that you're doing out there in Montana. I think it's fantastic for your community and for honestly, our, our world as a whole, we need more of what you're doing. So thank you for sharing it with us. Well, thank you for having me and right back at you. It's, it's fun to meet kindred spirits, right. In this type of work and, and obviously very deep intentions, right. That's right. Bring people together. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you appreciate the invitation. Of course, before I let you go, I kind of do a wrap up question for all of my guests each season. And we change it every season in this, um, for the third one, it is, if you could get in a time machine and go back in time and give yourself some, you know, professional advice to look forward to what you're doing now, what would you tell yourself? So I'm, I'm 39 years old now. I'd have to, I'm thinking, I'd probably go back to my 20 year old self Mm -hmm. right in the middle of undergrad years. Right. Um, and at that time I was struggling, uh, staying in school. I was, my grades were just dropping and I was losing all my interest in my classes and having a really hard time feeling inspired. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and so I just lost interest and I, and I started to to drop. So I actually took a semester off at that time, halfway through my, um, my undergrad years and then re-engaged and finished my engineering degree. But the point is, I think at that time, if I went back to myself now and had that conversation, I probably would say something along the lines of trust in your intuition, mm. you know, but at the same time, uh, be really, really careful to uh, stay humble and curious, right? Um, so sometimes, even now at 39, like I might look in the mirror and convince myself that I've got some things figured out. <laughs> and to me, that is a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, I certainly was a person in my 20s who you start to you sort of break free from your parents in a way and, and you mm-hmm. start to be dependent and you're kind of charting your own course and you feel pretty confident, maybe a little overconfident. You got the world figured out. And truth is we don't like, we really, really don't. And we never do. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Going back to the mystery, yeah. um, but trusting in our, in our deeper intuition, I think is an invitation to say like, don't let the world shape you the way you think you need to be shaped from what they're telling you. Right. Do what you really are driven to do. Right. But at the same time, challenge yourself, mm-hmm. like be curious, um, be open minded and be open hearted and then let the story unfold. Right. The path will reveal itself to you in a way that is more than likely than not very authentic to yourself. Right. right? And then you're going to show up in the world given whatever you've got in a way that's way more influential or way more powerful or mm. A, a much stronger service to the world if you if you follow your own intuition right in a really healthy way. I love that. That stay curious part is, I think, a huge, huge message that I hope people listen to because be there's nothing better than I kind of went through a similar story and now I'm kind of in this like my authentic era of like what really makes me passionate and I have never felt more like more motivated and powerful in in like my like mission, I guess I would say. And so being like in, 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 uh, motivated intrinsically is huge. Then like, 
like you said, in school, like trying to stay motivated and engaged. And, you know, once you shift that to something you're authentically passionate about, it just happens. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. (laughs) All right, Daniel. Well, I wish you all the best. Have a great day and um, we'll stay in touch. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate you. Take Mm -hmm. care. Until next time. Thanks for listening to another episode. Until the next one launches, stay connected to our community by joining the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook group. There, we share exclusive educational content, answer your questions, and review new and exciting developments for the EAS community. Don't forget, if you have suggestions for future episode topics or a lead on a great guest that you think our audience would enjoy, click on the link in the show notes or visit us at hetrauniversity.org. This podcast is presented by Hetra University an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Writing Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the EAS community. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by visiting us online at hetra.org. Again, I can't thank you all enough for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.